Hi, and welcome to Figures Speech, a new program from WRBH, where every week you can meet local poets and writers in the New Orleans community and listen to them share their work. This episode, we welcome on Jordan Soika. Jordan Soika is a teacher and poet. He is the former co-director of the New Orleans Poetry Brothel, and his work has been published in Glitter Pony, La Petite Zine, Spork, Tenderloin, Tarpaulin Sky, and others, as well as an anthology from Lavender Inc., whose title is not radio-friendly. Take a listen. Landscape. Only lies create worlds. Blue shadows in the creases, black shadows in the folds. Our decisions fit inside us, but barely, like smoke trapped under glass. I open doors, but I am not the wind. I close doors, but I am not myself. A bit less time to drum your fingers. The sound of rain is rooftops. From now on, everything that recedes will be called landscape. Each thing categorized by how long the smoke takes to dissipate. The smell sticks to your hair, your clothes. Is it sentimental to call that desperate? Whatever we leave on the pillow waits for us. Slivers of soap. Only heard that song through the wall. Only caught the end of this film. Whatever appears at the door is sugar. Furred face. Palm extended for your tooth and another. Knock, knock. The answer is, if you can pry it open, a promise sticky as plums. From now on, whatever we can see through the smoke will be called monster. In one of my poems, I write, Moonlight is a rhyme, moonlight is theft, moonlight is sunlight, homesick. In trying to find a framework for my poems on this show, I thought a lot about my own writing process. My poems often begin with theft. I take poems I love and I dissect them, rearrange them, pluck from them. In my mind, the poem is finished when I can no longer remember which lines are mine and which lines I took. It's not because I'm trying to cover up the theft, I'm pretty upfront about it, but because I think that's how I can tell when something new has been created. When the neurons have rewired themselves, made fresh connections, and sent sparks through this new creature that's just beginning to wiggle its toes. But the connection to the texts I stole from are always there as echoes. In that spirit, I've tried to pair my own poems with other poems today. In some cases, I'll actually read the text that inspired my own work, and in other cases, the connection is less direct. Nonetheless, I'm hoping to create a sort of web, some sense of connection, amplification, and echo. Here's a poem of mine that doubles as a sort of credo. Null Hypothesis 1 In my early work, there was a distinction between stairs and stars. I remember a page folded over, arguing with itself, breath rustling at the edges. I remember fingers, voices, lined up. I seal my lips to say begin, and my eyes close on an image. In my early work, there was a distinction between stairs and stars, night's little engines. I forced my mouth, carved lakes to dredge for bones, Beauty extracted from beauty, glittering, wrung out, a page folded, light shining beneath. I've also been very driven by an interest in the line between repetition, ritual, and compulsion. It's the combination of a Catholic upbringing and suffering from obsessive-compulsive disorder at a very young age. I was extremely sensitive to balance and had a sense that there was a sort of magic born out of our movements And as a result, I became obsessed with trying to manage each gesture. This is a poem sort of in that vein. 
Null Hypothesis 2 No distinction between stairs and stars. Long exposure shots stretch night into gorgeous elevators. Something conjured from the restless space. Toes cut adrift, burrowing. Floaters in the retina meaning what? Count them again. Memorize lines tumbling out my fingers, tending the dotted, going and coming. Waiting becomes mirrors. There is only have known, dried, measured. But it's my duty, the long ash dangling. Many of my poems, in fact, quote directly from the diagnostic criteria of OCD, as cited in the DSM 4, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, a reference book used by psychologists. This poem is called, The More Statement Forbids, The More It Says About the World of Experience. Sun holds tight to the floorboards. Parallel shafts of light divide my feet. The floorboards are a logic. Feet long for the solidity of parallel and perpendicular. Eyes long for symmetry. Fingers on the home keys. Nothing happened but a sunspot and a dead wasp. Type it out. Internal order. Magical thinking. Fingerprints. At the pervasive expense of efficiency. Tip. Tap. This gorgeous dread, each movement an egg slipped into boiling water. Often the wound makes a sound, not imposed from without, the light bulb voice, burnt in rapture. Repeating words silently, barefoot dreams of September, a polyp in the throat, something less lonely than a bucket, clearly excessive. I regret my fingers. This next poem is called, This is Not a Complete List of Side Effects. Hell is a good excuse for a ladder. Goes nowhere. The narrative. Depersonalization. Just a little pile of fingernails. Under your bed, a curve passing through all these points. Anorgasmia. Pin it down. Dream abnormalities. Collapse makes sense. A voice is calling behind me. A hole with a chandelier in it. Feeling warm. Drudgery. Another sentence. Dysphagia. The vanishing point shows more. I don't know full remission, e.g. depression disappears in spring. Night's little engines, wrung out. Suicidal ideation, ink on my hands. These words can be extinguished with other words. My snibble watch bands, avoidance. A finite number of singular statements. Decreased salivation, paresthesia. Everything is ready now. Talkativeness, muscular cramps. But beautiful, intrusive and inappropriate. Excessive and unreasonable. The face displays no discernible euphoria. No way out. Vigilance and scanning. I had my own ritual for my writing many of these poems. I would take a stack of books and one at a time I would flip through them until my finger landed on a random phrase. Kind of like when somebody does bibliomancy. And I'd add that phrase to sort of a, a word bank that I would draw from later as I wrote. One of the books... I was most drawn to during this time was The Cow from Ariana Rhines, and there are fragments of hers throughout much of my work. The tone has a very similar feel to what I've always aimed for as well, simultaneously clinical and lyrical. Here's the second poem from Rhines's book, The Cow. Book forgive everything. First there's wind. A single star like the pale hair of a girl. The dim universe plucked with light. These were the bright muds, the light an asp rivets it, a sleeve of light, beginner's navel, the nipple of the world, a crescendo, 
meaning flies up, goes up, sails up before all fossils, before anything hard. Energy. What transpires in a crowd of eyes that are not yet. Wet eyes, wet with energy, which is sense. No part of dark air lolls upon a single thing. Creatures like catamarans on tiny water. The faintest wing of air being cut by something existing. A radiance inside of time, a snail tracks the ooze that proves duration. Mammalian, beginning to be inside of her. Eventually time-taking. This is writing. And here are four of my own poems that draw on rhymes in one way or another. Inertia. This is not just, but quite the opposite. Dangling versus dangles. Impersonal, but squatting over me. It says something about loneliness, or inertia, or there's nothing metaphysical about an elevator. Gulps of light and the dead mixed in, stick head under faucet and spit. Forgetting is a fracture that heals stronger but aches in the wind. Calcineus, talus, navicular, metatarsal, 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 metatarsal. The Logic of Scientific Discovery Overexposed and grainy, reduced to specimen. I was asked about the light bulb voice. I checked my pulse. I asked about the gavel, the fist-sized polyp, about the close-up, the white, white shoes. One cannot enumerate what is universal. My mouth is neither drawer nor sky. The margin of error, breathing with a bag over my head. The revisions are their own informants. Lurching follows the landfill, smog's memories, deep red mountains in the distance. Everything's a blister. Burrowing into my own whereabouts, the revisions are their own informants, scudding across the field like an empty bag. What fear would look like if it were hollow. I think about suicide and feel crumbly. Decadent pastry ate it all in one sitting. Smudge the memories, spit into them, and smear them around until they stop looking like me. The door's waterlogged. If you open it, it will never shut. If you don't, you'll never leave. Contamination is creation. Licking my way across the mirror. Slight adjustments. Slosh is a good word for it. The balcony is full. Torch it until the charred bones fall. Potential falsifiers. Initial conditions rotate. Magical thinking. Is there such a thing as immediate? For us both to hear the beautiful black? The slap of it against something else. It sounds like an emergency, fading in the distance. It bores me. Music is also an important part of my writing ritual, and for a long time, really since college, I've listened almost exclusively to Aphex Twin when I'm writing. Um, if you aren't familiar, Aphex Twin sort of runs the gamut from ambient to very harsh techno music. And I have three ekphrastic poems dedicated to songs of his, each named after a particular track. This first one is called Peak 82454201. Stalking the pivot, bursts of crisp white. These ticks are satellites, these dings in the shine.
Guarek II. Not even color, a smudge, rutting inside the mirror. I close my eyes, but the lids feel stubble. Echoes bullying, unsanitary. I rarely dream of anyone. A drone stretches into little teeth and tugs. If everything fit, how could you spit it out if you needed to? What would you wrench open? Digging through matted fur, silt and dander, the bedsheets, find the mirror, boil it. Squid ink, oblivion almost, slush freezing, handfuls of damp earth spooling overhead. Pixels rasp past one another, hyperventilating, a throng of light bulging. I'm swaddled in the middle. Ventolin. Hill rolling tremors, damp basement. There's a meat to it. Bloat smashed malpractice by a drum machine, pissing out its ass. Mounds of chewed gum from plop to slap. The enormous logic, locked up. Cogwheel rigidity. Lip-smacking angels. Butter blips, shuffling along. Kicked in the siren and winced. Sometimes the writing process is literally mechanical. I've always been interested in artificial intelligence, especially chatbots, because in trying to respond to you, they often attempt to imitate the person they're speaking to. This poem was created by feeding lines from the surrealist poet Philippe Sapo into a chatbot I found. It's called The Lightbulb Voice. Poet. Pearls at her ankles. Chatbot. They are round. Poet. Waking their dreams. Chatbot. Do dead people have dreams? Poet. To be dead is not enough for them. Chatbot. Who is them? Poet. The horse. The bull. Chatbot. Do they wear stockings? Poet. Grasshoppers. Chatbot. How insulting. Poet. The deliberate comb strokes part the long hair. Chatbot. Do you want the moon? Poet. Stones invent nothing. Chatbot. I don't love you. Poet. Gaze up through the dazzle. Chatbot. Another time. Sometimes my inspiration ends up working backwards. In trying to figure out where a few fragments from one of my poems originated, I stumbled across a poem from Nazar Kabani. However, in looking at my source notes, I'm pretty sure that the phrases that were similar were just a coincidence. I'd never read Kabani's poem before. But I haven't been able to get it out of my head since, and perhaps they're distant cousins. So here is Kabani's poem. Between Us. Between us, twenty years of age, between your lips and my lips, when they meet and stay, the years collapse, the glass of a whole life shatters. The day I met you, I tore up all my maps, all my prophecies. Like an Arab stallion, I smelled the rain of you before it wet me. Heard the pulse of your voice before you spoke. Undid your hair with my hands before you had braided it. There is nothing I can do, nothing you can do. What can the wound do with the knife on the way to it? Your eyes are like a night of rain in which ships are sinking, and all I wrote is forgotten. In mirrors, there is no memory. 
God, how is it we surrender to love, giving it the keys to our city, carrying candles to it and incense, falling down at its feet, asking to be forgiven? Why do we look for it and endure all that it does to us, all that it does to us? Woman in whose voice silver and wine mingle, in the rains, from the mirrors of your knees, the day begins its journey life puts out to sea. I knew when I said I love you that I was inventing a new alphabet for a city where no one could read, that I was saying my poems in an empty theater and pouring my wine for those who could not taste it. When God gave you to me, I felt that he had loaded everything my way and unsaid all his sacred books. Who are you, woman entering my life like a dagger, mild as the eyes of a rabbit, soft as the skin of a plum, pure as strings of jasmine, innocent as children's bibs, and devouring like words. Your love threw me down in a land of wonder. It ambushed me like the scent of a woman stepping into an elevator. It surprised me in a coffee bar, sitting over a poem. I forgot the poem. It surprised me, reading the lines in my palm. I forgot my palm. It dropped on me like a blind, deaf wildfowl. Its feathers became tangled with mine. Its cries were twisted with mine. It surprised me as I sat on my suitcase, waiting for the train of days. I forgot the days I traveled with you to the land of wonder. Your image is engraved on the face of my watch. It is engraved on each of the hands. It is etched on the weeks, months, years. My time is no longer mine. It is you. And here's my own poem. Fingerprints. The violins played kicking up the darkness. They played all that blue. The violins played, the phone lines vanished, followed by before you undid your hair. With plastic frills and burnt fingers, the violins blundered through swans and phoned another type of mercy, played puddle and plunk like fat toddlers, and sucked the knuckle bone clean. Even now, the vanishing point is a bruise, something ugly in all that blue. No one's voice my own. Often, the wound makes a sound. Not a witness, really. An empty fast food bag, stuck between floor and sky. Fingers drum hollow through the apartment. I will humiliate my sadness, eat canned olives off my fingers. Moonlight is a rhyme. Moonlight is theft. Moonlight is sunlight. Homesick. The moon eclipsing the sun to be seen as nothing. Despite the fact that his poetry is a lot happier than mine is, the poet I turn to the most is Frank O'Hara. He's the first poet I ever fell in love with, and I got a lot of inspiration from the energy and intimacy of his poems. Let me read a selection from his semi-serious manifesto, Personism. Pain always produces logic, which is very bad for you. I'm not saying that I don't have practically the most lofty ideas of anyone writing today, but what difference does that make? They're just ideas. The only good thing about it is when I get lofty enough, I've stopped thinking, and that's when refreshment arrives. But how can you really care if anybody gets it or gets what it means or it improves them? Improves them for what? For death? Why hurry them along? Too many poets act like middle-aged mothers trying to get her kids to eat too much cooked meat and potatoes with drippings. Nobody should experience anything they don't need to. If they don't need poetry, bully for them. I like the movies, too. 
And after all, only Whitman and Crane and Williams of the American poets are better than the movies. As for measure and other technical apparatus, that's just common sense. If you're going to buy a pair of pants, you want them to be tight enough so everyone will want to go to bed with you. There's nothing metaphysical about it. Unless, of course, you flatter yourself into thinking that what you're experiencing is yearning. Personism, a movement which I recently founded and which nobody knows about, interests me a great deal. Being so totally opposed to this kind of abstract removal that it is verging on a true abstraction for the first time, really, in the history of poetry. Personism was founded by me after lunch with Leroy Jones on August 27, 1959, a day in which I was in love with someone, not Roy, by the way, a blonde. I went back to work and wrote a poem for this person. While I was writing it, I was realizing that if I wanted to, I could use the telephone instead of writing the poem. And so Personism was born. It's a very exciting movement, which will undoubtedly have lots of adherents. It puts the poem squarely between the poet and the person, Lucky Pierre style, and the poem is correspondingly gratified. The poem is at last between two persons instead of two pages. In all modesty, I confess that it may be the death of literature as we know it. I strive for that sort of breezy intimacy, and I've taken to heart his line that pain always produces logic, which is very bad for you. If I go into a poem with a plan or any sort of conscious logical aim, the poem becomes didactic and it dies. The only way that it works for me is if it's a mystery for me while I'm writing it as well. Induction. I am writing notes in a dark room, brutal to shut out the noise of loneliness. The landlady controls my life and a lot of space from now on. Oracular matches pop one by one and sizzle out. This is life. Black tea. A little sugar. Little milk. Lying in bed. Supposing there was in my dream a sadness. Cold potatoes. A fast shave and I'm dressed. Inertia. Anything doing everything. Without a feeding frenzy, why drive around? Why describe a paper airplane? Once my fingers got stuck and hibernated. I judge the breeze by licking my knee. A conveniently narrow meaning for meaning. Very well. Framing my own asshole. I am satisfied. I float all morning. I also took from O'Hara his focus on trifles, small everyday objects. As he says in the poem today, Oh, kangaroos, sequins, chocolate sodas, you really are beautiful. Pearls, harmonicas, jubjubes, aspirins, all the stuff they've always talked about still makes a poem a surprise. These things are with us every day, even on beachheads and byres. They do have meaning. They're strong as rocks. Jack Spicer said something similar in his book After Lorca. I would like the moon in my poems to be a real moon, one which could be suddenly covered with a cloud that has nothing to do with the poem, a moon utterly independent of images. The poem is a collage of the real, yes, but the garbage of the real still reaches out into the current world, making its objects in turn visible. Lemon calls to lemon, newspaper to newspaper, boy to boy. Things do not connect. They correspond. Here are two of my own poems. Diagnostic Criteria 1. I translate the night. It's asthmetic staccato. It's shriveled prick. Then shut the window. There's a crispness in the air that reminds me nothing of apples. And the second one is actually named after Jack Spicer's manifesto. Unvert. Misarticulate, 
with feeling. All the gestures tumble into each other, feel sulky all over, feel drip-drip. Narration as prognosis, prognosis as manifesto. Almost everyone has pockets, not enough have fishnets hugging thighs. Roll out of bed, roam, cry out, bunny bread tastes very chemical. A rational relationship to objects. Likely this banana never heard of globalization. This isn't going well. Two big shoes. Googled the sun. Muse as butt plug. Walked in circles till my feet dug a ditch. The ditch became a moat and I was alone. Want to be bored till my words get shitty. Shout boredom into the toilet. Hold it in my mouth like cum and walk down the street. Peel green nail polish from my toes and sweep it into an empty bag of chips. Barbecue. All my whatever pushes out from inside because Frank O'Hara was my first. Irritation is information. Pick the scab raw. Jack Spicer is my other biggest influence after O'Hara. He had a background in linguistics, and supposedly his final words were, my vocabulary did this to me. Here's a selection from a long poem of his called A Textbook of Poetry. Taught as a wire which reaches. A silver wire which reaches from the end of the beautiful as if elsewhere. A metaphor. Metaphors are not for humans. The wires dance in the wind of the noise our poems make. The noise without an audience. Because the poems were written for ghosts. The ghosts the poems were written for are the ghosts of the poem. We have it second hand. They cannot hear the noise they have been making. Yet it is not a simple process like a mirror or a radio. They try to give us circuits to see them, to hear them, teaching an audience. The wires in the rows are beautiful. My own poem, At My Heels, takes a few phrases directly from Spicer's poem and drops them in as if they were ghosts haunting the rest of the poem. At My Heels 1. Wash up the wastrel and belly down. Ghost sounds like a pixel rocket. They cannot hear the sounds they have been making. Cowers in Elysian neurofibrillary tangles, fertilized braille. Disasters sag in the middle, as if five years had thickened on their flesh, as in love handles, pockmarked, as in we need bigger tombstones, bigger trash bags, a squalor we can really dig into. 2. An iteration that lemons, a locus. Oval is the wrong word. Wiggly wiggly. Lizard tails in the rear view. Or jump rope reverb. Mirrors can be arranged. Listen hard to the bullet. 3. A berm in the milky vault. How many teeth can you miss? Let the gore talk amongst itself. Flayed and charred. Sickly strands. Rope with nothing to be tied to. Grown-up sounds. Feeling ratty in a ditch. It follows me like someone that hates me. Kerplunk. Bye-bye, shitfly. 4. Glom onto anguish and ride it. Scalp jagged, ready to drink whatever the rain is willing to send. Looking for a box to call sleep. A hollow without a drain. Force-fed slops of hair, built a ladder from the tossed bones. Neural misfires, grabbing at shadows, all the big ones. Martyred dreamily a pink mist on passers-by. 5. Applying Carmex on suicide watch. 
Swans split over lit embers, bowed beaks blackening, a glitch in my swoon. Like bells sing into houses, cow-heavy and florid, exposed, smashable, shouldering forward like a dung beetle. I want to close with a poem from Jack Spicer that has the same intimacy as O'Hara's poems, and then two of my own. Spicer's poem is part of a book called Letters to James Alexander, which, as the title implies, is conceived of as a series of letters to his friend, and the effect is very similar to personism. Here's the first one. Fort Wayne, Indiana, is the capital of nitrogen. All streets end there. No buses arrive there except those that carry direct mail or cargoes of Negroes en route to the Underground Railway. There has never been a city made up of so many arms. You can see Troy, New York in the distance. Christmas poems and lovers' holly branches grow there in the winter, as well as stuffings of turkeys, memory pie, and little droppings of passing angels. It's not reached by air. Fort Wayne, Indiana has industries and tournament golf and blocks and blocks of weeping buildings. It is built on the high ground above the slow of utter unwinding. The birds, which all look like seagulls or cormorants in its artificial sky, singing when the day is over. At night they look like elephants. People watch them with telescopes as they hover. In Fort Wayne, Indiana, the trees are dying, and you can see the footprints in the rather wet snow. People take their motor scooters to bed with them. Come back to California, come back to California. Every map maker, every map maker is pleading to James Alexander. What do the sparrows eat in winter? I asked someone once in Minneapolis. He replied, they eat horse turds if they can find them. There are acres of cold snow. Love, Jack. There's a tenderness and vulnerability in that poem that I love, and I like it when you can picture the writer alone in their room as they work. Here's a poem of mine. A mass of preoccupation turns into an animal beside me, anywhere, ever. Begin with what is conventional. Scribble emergency exit, the back of my hand. Good morning, just thinking about it, just passing by. Disinterested, practical. Today I'll seem happy. Count things until they become tangible, until they become my fingers, scratching at it obviously symbolic, trees pruned in deference to power lines, follow my fingers out of somewhere dark, stomach cramps, the ashtray spilled, a scab on the crown of my scalp, it feels like meaning, dark red and bitten, dainty, but plump, swollen, I am going to say it now. Finally, here is perhaps my favorite poem that I've ever written. Nevertheless, we scattered fragments ding-dong. Stains, stairs, stars, you're the cloud breath. You're the exit. My sky, blueberry mash. Pickled fish stench on the bus, everyone in a hat in a hood surrounded by garbage, chugging along. Whiskers and frost. Whispers. Rust. Fat clouds. You're the exit. I encrypt noise, notes, tuck them away. Still attached to the bone, the holes address us. Stars you drew like wisps of hair, here, close the disaster. Overwhelmed by scale, we must contextualize our euphoria. First, the body, 
snow, loudspeakers. There are teeth you'll never meet. You're the exit. To be a city, our disbelief must brick and climb. Can't just sleep in the curtains, get drunk in the big tub. The mystery arrived charred, and that's the mystery. If it glowed like heaven, I'd eat it. That was poet Jordan Soika. And you've been listening to Figure of Speech, a community poetry and writing program from WRBH. You can tune in on Saturdays at 1 p.m. and every Monday at 9 p.m. for more great New Orleans writing. Thanks for listening.